from Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 148. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, Away, and Pingdom. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. Stephen is out on assignment today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, if you remember last week, uh, I made the promise that next week, me and you would teach him something. Remember we did the, the rotation of lessons? Yes, yes. So I think he didn't want to learn. Um, or thought that there was nothing we could teach him, so he's out this Steven, week. Uh, Steven has skipped uh, class today. However, the uh, final section of the show today, we are going to teach people stuff, I think, whether they like it or not. So I assume Stephen will listen to the show, so he's going to get taught no matter what he does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you should do you should do follow-up, Mike. I don't, I, but like, I don't really know how, but I'm going to give it I'm okay, going okay, to give you a sound effect. Follow-up. Thank you. That Now I can do it. Now I'm ready. I'm yes. booted in. You gave me the special code word. Um, the prompt curse has taken a very unexpected turn on you, oh, Federico. No. <laughs> so last week we were talking about uh, the issues that I was having with bricking of my iPads during the beta process, during beta one, and you had no problem. Uh, at all you were perfectly fine everything was running real well uh do you want to talk about what happened on tuesday evening <laughs> after we recorded the show <laughs> this is this is like when when i think in the is it like in harry potter one when harry potter two maybe when ron tries to um the slug vomiting charm on malfoy but it backfires because the wand is broken so basically and, and ron starts vomiting slugs <laughs> watching a lot of harry potter at the moment what's going what's, that's a real deep reference <laughs> so basi- basically i talked about the the beta being broken for you and just a couple of hours later my ipad exploded so that's how it goes uh yeah how did you deal with it because you were in you were already on 11 right with everything i didn't deal with with it at all like i just had to surrender and you know i was defeated by the by the bugs so did you have to start fresh with your iPad? Yeah, yeah, I know it. It it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a fun couple of hours at all. D- didn't you have an iCloud backup of eleven? I did have an iCloud backup of eleven, but if I try to restore from the backup, it would still hang at the Apple Whoa. logo. So wow. yeah, the only solution was to either go back clean on iOS ten or go back clean on iOS eleven, and uh. You know, at that point, I had to start clean. So, whatever. I'm just gonna go again with beta one. And I didn't. I didn't. What I did is I didn't put all my apps back in. So only the essentials because I thought the beta two would come out uh, the following week. So I was like, I can wait uh, for three to four days. Wait for the second beta, and then I will do my proper setup all over again. And that's what happened. So I. Wasted a couple of hours trying to do the restore, trying to restore from the backup. Nothing worked, and I was kind of upset, but, you know, this stuff happens. And if anything, it made me appreciate the new setup experience of iOS 11, which is something that I want to write about extensively in my review uh, in a few months. Uh, You know, the fact that you can set up an iOS device more quickly just by tapping uh, with another iOS 11 device. So, for example, to put back my iCloud information and my Apple ID for the App Store All I had to, and a bunch of other settings. All I had to do was to tap my phone on the iPad and it would transfer settings quickly. And also there's a second component to, to this um, slimmer setup experience, which is the Express Settings um, 
option. Basically, it's a new screen that comes up during setup, and it's Apple telling you, hey, we're taking care of these basic settings for you. If you're okay with it, just hit continue. Otherwise, you can explore each setting individually. So they're basically um, like bundling what used to be a bunch of separate screens during setup into one recommended by Mm. Apple uh, flow that it's much easier. I assume that stuff like sharing bug reports and all that kind of nonsense, which was like a screen per warning. Let me see, because I, I think I have my screenshots archived in DevonThink. Uh, so yes, let me review beta Because having set up a couple of new devices a couple of times recently, it was frustrating to have to keep being like, yes, send these to Apple, yes, send these to develop. Yeah, so Express settings includes Find My iPhone or Find My iPad with uh, activation lock automatically turned on, uh, location services, and analytics. That's three settings into one screen. It's, that's better. I mean, you know, yeah. this is the thing. Every time a new iPhone comes out, me and Jason on Upgrade, we always talk about the setup process because it's always a disaster in some way. Um, and this is mainly because there are so many iPhones, right, on that day. Every, there, things go wrong. Things are slow. But one of uh-huh. the things that we're always talking about is just the hundreds of taps that you are performing to get through the multitude of screens. There's so many things you have to do to set up a new iOS device. Um, And I'm happy that Apple's doing something to try and expedite that process a little bit with a couple of new features there. So I'm just really pleased that they're giving that some attention Mm -hmm. because I think it's much needed. Yeah, and and basically what what it comes down to now is you... If you have another iOS device, you tap it. So you don't have to put in passwords anymore, I think. Maybe just for two-factor, you have to receive the code, I guess. Uh, So you transfer most of the settings and accounts. Uh, Then you accept the express settings. So you don't have to go through like six separate screens anymore. It's just one. And then you, I guess you confirm a bunch of like... um, the terms, like the user terms and that kind of stuff, like agree, agree. Touch ID, probably, you do? Ta- you do the touch, you do, so touch ID is the big step now, like it's two, three screens, mm-hmm. uh, but that's about it. So it's it's much quicker than before. So do, doing the restore made me, made me appreciate that. And I'm probably going to do another restore around beta five, six, I don't want to do the GM because it's too late. Um, but I'm gonna do another restore to see how this process changes. But overall, I guess this is what Apple wants to do: transfer from another iOS device, uh, so you get the Apple ID and you get iCloud, uh, express settings for location, find my iPhone, and analytics, and manual would be Touch ID, mm-hmm. uh, setting the display zoom to standard or what's the name? Display zoom, I guess. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess that that's it. Yeah. So that was nice, uh, but. Starting fresh, of course, wasn't nice. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if we mentioned this before. I think we did. Um, the tvOS is getting home screen sync uh, on tvOS 11. Yep. And my dream would be someday to get home screen sync on iOS as well. So, you know, for people with multiple iPads or even mm-hmm. just across the iPhone and the iPad, it would just be so nice to... Especially now with the you know with the dock, now that people are gonna are gonna have I guess more complex iPad home screens. It would be really nice to say, hey, put my things back in the dock, put my apps back on specific pages, and recreate my folders and stuff like that. 
But yeah, now I'm on beta 2. Everything is seems to be better. I got a bunch of um, springboard crashes every day, but those are not like... You don't get stuck at the Apple logo, just five seconds and you're booted back into the home screen. Yeah, because what it seemed like was happening, I mean, just from my experience of having it occur to me a couple of times, if you hit a springboard crash, that was it. Right, like I never hit a springboard crash and came back from it. <laughs> Every time mm. I hit one, it was like, well, it's dead now. I mean, I mean, it happened to me twice, but, you know, like I was using him for a couple of days. And as soon as Springboard crashed, it just brought the whole system down, which yeah. is normal. The thing about Springboard is that it manages a bunch, a bunch of services that are not just a home screen. Like there are components of Springboard in the yep. way that iOS 11 takes screenshots or the way that Preview is managed. It is a real core part of the OS. Yeah. Very, very core. The thing that triggered the problem for me was I kept trying to get to put in, into split view WWDC, the app, and Apple Notes. And you know when you resize split view and the, the apps are kind of blurred because they don't show mm -hmm. you the actual UI? And those apps got stuck with that blurred state twice. And I just kept trying to force it, doing the first quit and going back into split view. And then my second attempt, everything just crashed and I was stuck at the Apple logo. So it was partly my fault because I insisted on... Uh, winning over the system, but I didn't. Uh, it was a, I lost, and that was really sad. But now, um, now everything is fine again. In fact, we have the public beta now, Mike. Dev beta two and the public beta one are now out. We're assuming that they're basically the same builds. Really similar, I think. Yeah. How have you found stability to be on on the on this round of betas? So. Beta 2 is much, much better than Beta 1. There are still some problems. Like now, you know, in the Files app, you get the Locations menu uh, where you can go iCloud Drive or, you know, other document providers. And now there's support for the legacy document providers. So even if those apps uh, haven't updated to iOS 11 yet, such as Dropbox or Documents or Working Copy, you can still open the, the legacy document provider, like the pop-up menu on the iPad. Sometimes those don't work. Uh, I see some on-screen crashes uh, about daily, and drag-and-drop is inconsistent. Uh, sometimes it works. Other times, like, stuff just doesn't just isn't recognized for example i was trying to pick up a bunch of email messages today and move them into a different folder and nope that didn't like that that didn't work but this is all the expected stuff right like i mean you, you know this is what happens this is how it is yeah uh so overall if you if you consider these bugs and these problems I wouldn't say there are any major showstoppers i mean for me there's one which is the workflow extension doesn't work in Safari on iOS 11. Uh, in fact, I think Workflow is the app that has the most bugs. So that that's kind of amusing because, you know, it's a, it's an Apple app now. Then all you got to do is file a radar. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, again, I, I am filing the radars. So. I know you are. But that's why I have an iPad with iOS 10 because for critical work stuff, I still think... You know, I need a stable build, especially for workflow. Uh, overall, I mean, there have been there have been worse beta twos in the past, and for the beta two, you know, we're still in June, 
So like WWC was like not even three weeks ago. So yeah, I mean, the fact that there's a public beta tells you that it could be worse. And so it's at an acceptable stage. Uh, of course, you know, battery drain issues, home screen crashes. Sometimes the camera on the iPhone just doesn't work, so I need to force quit the camera app. That stuff is to be expected. Uh, but I don't think you're, at this point, I don't think your phone would explode if you put Beta 2 on your main device. I wouldn't recommend it. I won't put the beta on my girlfriend's phone phone or my mom's phone, but if you're one of you know one of those people who really want to check out iOS 11 with beta 2 with some reservations, you can probably go for it. So when iOS 11 dropped, there was obviously some kind of no I wouldn't call it an embargo, but Oh no, it was an embargo. <laughs> it was totally an embargo. But like <laughs> it's not in the traditional sense because any of these websites could have written what they'd written already because it was all out there in the world. But, you know, there were a bunch of websites that, that published um, some pre- iOS 11 preview posts so mm-hmm, talking about mm-hmm. kind of like the public beta is now out. Here's a little bit more about iOS 11 having used it. So it's, you know, it's just people talking about the stuff that like everyone's been talking about for the last few weeks, but now it's in an article form. Um, and every, you know, all the ones that I looked at were good. The the clear thing here is that everybody's focusing on how big a change it is for the iPad. I mean, to varying degrees of acceptance, um, but everybody is talking. This this is the, the key message, which is great to hear. It's kind of obviously what Apple feels as well. Um, it, really, iOS 11, whilst there's a lot of interesting stuff going on, and we're going to talk about some of that a little bit later on in the show, uh, the the big feature, the big, big, big thing here is uh, what what is happening to the iPad of iOS 11. So I'm pleased that that's kind of the message that seems to be circulating right now because I think that's great. Yeah, and that may, makes sense, right? Because even if you look at the iPhone, there are changes, but they're not major changes like last year, like a whole new iMessage or a whole new Apple Music. And obviously, it, it, it's obvious to anyone that the iPad is the focus of this uh, iOS release. And I just love how there are some common themes already. Uh, We're still at beta 2, but I I skimmed over some of these articles and I watched the video of The Verge. I didn't want to read the articles because this is what I do every year. I don't want uh, other opinions to even subconsciously influence what I'm going to do with my iOS review. Uh, but I, uh, you know, from a quick read and talking to the Mac Stories guys who actually read these stories, one of the common takeaways is uh, about notifications and the lock screen. Everybody's like, now when you swipe down, you view the lock, you see the lock screen, which I guess from a from a like a consistency standpoint, it makes sense. But I'm not sure why Apple is doing this, and I'm really annoyed that you cannot dismiss individual notifications uh, just by swiping on them. You need to force touch on them, to 3D touch on them, and to swipe down to dismiss. And the I, I, I'm guessing that by the final release, notifications and you know the fact that Apple cannot make up its mind when it comes to the lock screen and the way that you open notification center will be one of the major areas of uh, criticism. But on the other hand, everybody seems to be fairly positive on the iPad. Um, in fact, you know, the, the Verge seemed really positive to me. I watched the video with Dieter Bone. Uh, that was a really nice video. Uh, but then I, I saw 
Joshua Topolsky uh, on I don't Twitter, even want to Twitter. talk about it. I just, I can't. It's just... So, yeah, some folks still... I mean, and it, I guess for some people, I, I can see why uh, the iOS 11 and the iPad are not enough to convince people to use the iPad as a real laptop or as a real computer, which we went over this many, many We have been going over before. this for, for three years now, I think. Yes, point, so... Right? Uh, yeah, there's no sense in in starting this. It's not even a debate anymore. It's, it's not more a like a, a, It's an opinion. So yeah. you think it doesn't work? I think it works. Whatever. Uh, there, there, it's it's not a it's not a debate at all. Um, I don't I don't think it's worth debating anymore at this point. Like if with everything that we have now, if you still believe that it's impossible to do work on the iPad, then you will never be able to work on the iPad. Right, yeah. like if if that's what you are still thinking in 2017 with the devices that we have, with the peripherals that they have, and the operating system, if you have used all that together and think you can't work on the iPad, just stop trying. Like, yeah. you know, I, 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 no one's going to get upset. Like, it's clearly not for you, but you don't need to talk about how it shouldn't be for anyone. At that mm-hmm. point, I think that you're kind of missing the point. Um, I am really struggling, deliberating. <laughs> about upgrading i haven't yet gone Mm. back to 11 i really want to but there's some i tell you one of the things that's that's stopping me from doing it okay and it's something that you tweeted just before we started recording today Uh where you said uh at the point where i want all my most used ipad apps to integrate with files and support drag and drop ios 10 interactions are feeling old this is what i'm worried about like this is kind of what I was touching on last week, you know, about like hoping that some applications might be able to support something now, you know, like they could maybe jump on the train a little bit early. It's purely because like I felt this way with iOS 9, right? I remember it that like there's all this stuff in here that I know is in here, but I don't use the applications that can take advantage of this, right? Because they're not available yet. Yeah. So, you know, the the fact that I wouldn't be able to integrate with files and I won't be able to use drag and drop with most of the apps that I use is kind of making me feel like I'm just going to be frustrated trying to use iOS 11 right now. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And that's why every year I try to switch back to Apple apps um, because it, you, you get all of these new features earlier, like in June. And... If you don't use Apple apps or if you're like, well, I cannot, you know, I cannot use Safari or I cannot use Apple Mail, uh, then that's going to be a problem. But I should say that I don't think it's as bad as the transition to iOS 9 where you just couldn't have split view or you just couldn't have slide over. Um, that was that was really rough. And I remember sw- basically switching to over to every Apple alternative that I could use, like Reminders, Notes, Safari, Mail, uh, just because they had split view. Um, I do think drag and drop and files, once they are properly supported, like we will look back and we will, we will ask ourselves, how did we even manage? Yeah. But now I feel like, yeah, I don't, I don't have the files integration. For example, I was thinking about like, imagine if DevonThink or Working Copy could allow me to browse my database or my uh, GitHub repo into files. And that will be glorious eventually. Um, but even now, you know, you get some form of drag and drop with Safari. Uh, you get some basically drag and drop into Doist, for example, uh, or Ulysses. 
I know it's not the real thing yet, but I don't think it's like it makes you long for the future. Like in June 2015, when iOS 11, iOS 9 came out, and all of our apps felt basically broken because yeah. they were full screen and you just couldn't resize them, and that was rough. I think I'm like I'm really wishing for drag and drop and files, but if I had to compare that to iOS 9, the iOS 9 was way, way worse. Okay, so like, whilst it's still you want it, you still get elements of it. So like, you get a taste yeah. of it and, it and it can kind of associate it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's basically how I feel, yeah. So I think I'm still you, deliberating, man. I mean, I think you should try to incorporate some Apple apps in your workflow, even if temporarily. Mm-hmm. If you really want to try this stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I use notes all the time, right? So I could just use notes in Safari. Yeah. So that that would be great, I think. Uh, that's what I'm using drag and drop for most of the time anyway. Like I'm dropping stuff either from photos or from Safari into Apple Notes. And that that's enough, I think, to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. So where I am right now, I'm feeling like, see if I can wait to beta 3. Just see if I can wait. I'll follow up on whether I can actually wait. Mentioning follow-up, uh, I don't know what's happened. We're not done with follow-up at yeah. this point. Uh, we still have a lot more of it. I'm, I think we've broken it. Uh, we clearly need Steven. This is what happens when Dad is not around. Yeah, we just, we just, just, just ruined the structure. So we, we're not done... <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to take a break, though. Today's show is brought to you by Igloo, a digital workplace platform that helps you enhance your corporate culture that also improves how you work with the people inside of your company. Igloo connects your team to three important things, people, information, and processes. By using Igloo, your people will have access to exactly what they need using the tools that they already know, the devices that you're used to, and a host of app integrations as well that are right inside of Igloo. Igloo doesn't lock you down and be like, all you can use is Igloo on this one machine. You can use your devices wherever you want, however you want, and also with the apps and services that you're used to. Igloo can also be customized to represent your brand and your company culture. It will also help you define how your corporate culture operates. You can enhance your processes and culture in your organization. To do that, you need four pillars, right? There are four pillars that are key to helping you make your company better. Communication, collaboration, management of knowledge, and workflows. And these are all of the things that Igloo can help you enhance. To get your team started with Igloo right now, go try it out for free. There's no obligation to continue after your trial. Go to igloosoftware.com com slash connected to find out more. Igloo is a modern intranet designed to keep everyone on the same page. That's igloosoftware.com slash connected. We thank Igloo for their support of this show. We're talking about the lock screen and uh -huh. I forgot to pick up this thought, so I made a note. I have a theory about this lock screen stuff. Give me your theory, Mike. It's all about this new iPhone. Okay, how? I don't know. I know that that's not great, but there is something about this which says to me there is a reason, and the reason is not an enhancement in the software we currently have. So why would you do this? Like It doesn't seem logical in any way. So there is a missing piece, and that missing piece could be there's something about this new iPhone that on that iPhone, it makes sense. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. 
Right, so this is the idea, again, to just to refresh people, that now the lock screen and notification center are one and the same thing. So, like, you can be looking at your lock screen, and sometimes it's locked, and sometimes it's unlocked. It depends how you've accessed it, and sometimes you can get to your notifications, and sometimes you can't. It's all on one screen now. Mm-hmm. So my theory, Mike, is a little... It's more sad and maybe pragmatic. And I I know what you mean, and I... And I and I want you to be right, honestly. Like, I want to have, like, a big, flashy explanation. Like, September, there's an event, and we're all like, oh, so that's why you're redesigning notifications. And I really want that to be true, but I feel like reality will be a little more just sad, which is Apple took a look at a bunch of analytics, realized people don't open Notification Center at all, and uh, people don't open widgets at all by swiping down. So they looked at, you know, stats for the lock screen, realized, well, people interact with notifications on the lock screen a lot. So why not just make it like a lock screen? Because (laughs) that will help the numbers. And the analytics show that people tend to associate notifications with lock screen. So let's just use the same design and uh, rely on auto lock to lock the user device when... um, they're not interacting with the fake lock screen anymore. And that's about it, you know? That's the same reason why I think you're, we don't have, we don't have like the multiple column widgets on the iPad anymore because they looked at the numbers and so few people were actually taking advantage of that. Uh, and it probably was leading to bugs or to whatever. I don't know, but just, you know, let's just get rid of it because it doesn't help. I am really sad that the single column is back. It's so silly. It's such a waste yeah. of space. Like, it doesn't make sense to me why you'd remove something like that. I mean, I'm I'm choosing to take the optimistic view this time because, as I've said, I am trying to make twenty seven Apple's 2017, which goes from now to June 2018, right? Their full year, which is kind of how I think of Apple, right? The year starts and ends at WWDC. I am making a concerted effort to take the optimistic and positive view. I appreciate that. Right, because WWDC was so good that I, I it was good enough that I can feel like I don't need to be glum anymore. So mm-hmm. on this instance, I'm going to say, okay, this seems really bad, really screwed up. The, the, you know, it's basically you've got there is something we don't understand yet versus Apple still doesn't understand how people work with notifications. And I'm choosing to take the road of there's something that we just haven't seen yet, which will ma- start to make this make some sense in some way. Because right now, it's it really is kind of a bit of a mess. So I'm taking the positive view on this one. I mean, look, there are a few ways that I think I could be sold on the uh, new notifications design. First, I think there should be a way to tell people that it looks like a lock screen, but your device is not immediately locked. And And I don't think a tiny icon in the status bar will be enough. There has to be some kind of explanation, like one of those details card that come up on iOS now to explain you new stuff, I think there should be a onboarding experience to tell people, look, it looks like a lock screen, but it's not locked straight away. And also to tell them it respects the setting for auto lock that you have in the iOS settings. And that's why I think this is a problem for me. And for me specifically, and maybe other people like me, which we are a tiny percentage of the aggregate iOS user base, I don't, I never ever use auto lock. 
I always, always lock my devices manually. I don't know why. Could be that there's a component inside my brain that doesn't trust auto lock, or it just maybe it's just a habit that I have, but I always, always reach out for the power button to lock my devices. So for me specifically, having a notification center design, now it's called the cover sheet, so let's just use the proper name. Having the cover sheet look like a lock screen, but it doesn't lock my device, for someone like me who doesn't use auto lock, that is a problem because it sort of um, confuses me because it makes me believe the device is locked, but my brain tells me, look, it's the lock screen, but I also know it's not locked. But also I think... What I don't like is the double gesture involved with viewing all notifications. And I think it sort of, it kind of breaks a spatial model of I swipe down and I see my latest notifications, but then if I want to view them all, I need to swipe up because, because there's an icon that says earlier today. So first I need to swipe down, then I need to swipe up, and it's kind of like the seesaw on notifications that breaks my mental model, my mental association of I swipe down and I see everything. And I know that it used to be the same before, like from an interaction standpoint on iOS 10, you swipe down and then you start scrolling, right? And now it's the same, but it's the breaking this flow into two distinct steps that kind of breaks everything apart for me. Like I swipe down and I see a tiny fraction of notifications and then I need to swipe up again and I get a haptic feedback that tells me this is the second stage and there's something about it that I don't like. And the third aspect is I do agree with the folks who say it's just too difficult to dismiss an individual notification now. It was much easier when you could just wipe on it and you got like a close button or a dismiss button. Now you need to 3D touch on it or to long press and then swipe yeah, that, the card that's down. Silly. That, that's silly. And that is just so slow. So I would say three aspects that I don't like. Make it clear that it doesn't lock your device and that it follows the auto lock setting figure out a way to have like a to not have this sort of two-stage swipe interaction and three make it easier to dismiss an individual notification uh because right now if you take these three things together at least for me it makes the cover sheet confusing and it makes it slow and difficult to triage my notifications and to go on with my day. It feels like I, I need to manage the screen whereas notifications are meant to be viewed quickly interacted with quickly and dismissed with just a swipe and a tap and right now it just feels like oh god i'm in cover sheet you know that feeling and i think there are some changes that apple could make to make this better made a strong case uh, there's some more stuff in the beta that has just just caught my eye as being quite interesting uh, now in the beta release notes apple is listing some issues with popular third-party applications hmm this is new. They've never done this before, right? Not publicly. Yeah, that I, I don't think this kind of um, like list is new internally at all. Uh, it's the I think it's the first time there are so many different apps are mentioned to the public release notes. So that's nice because I mean they know that this kind of audience, developers and people like us, we have a bunch of third-party apps installed. So why not just tell people that those apps are going to have problems? You know, like, 
it's not the traditional Apple way. It's a pragmatic way to go about it. Like, we know you use TweetBot or we know you use Strava or whatever. These apps have problems right now, so you should know. Um, in fact, I think it, it should also make sense for the public beta because now you have an even wider audience of nerds who want to target the beta. So I appreciate this idea. I think it makes sense. If you know, I mean, I know it's not everything and that's where it gets a bit tricky, but like if you know, then why not tell people? Also, something that's new that I know that you're very excited about, test flight is working. Like on the previous yes. beta, or like for iOS 10, test flight, you couldn't use iOS 10 builds until very late in the process, right, of, of applications. Um, but it appears that you can, as a developer, you can you can submit an iOS 11 build with iOS 11 features to test flight. They tell you not to submit it to the store, um, but you can you can use it and you can distribute it externally. So that's really great, especially for people like yourself, who I'm sure really want to test some features with third party mm-hmm. applications. I had my first iOS 11 only app installed during the weekend, and I'm really happy about it. Um, you know, it used to be that test flight wouldn't open until like late in August or even just the week of the September event. So being able to test apps in late June, I mean, sign me up. That That is amazing. And uh, I saw some developers still having issues uh, not being able to submit iOS 11 only builds. But I think if you use Xcode 9 and the latest beta um, seeds, uh, you can just upload straight to test flight for external testers like people like me and Mike. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you if you want to send us betas of iOS 11 apps, yeah, please um, do. Mike, please please do. Uh, that will be uh, hopefully that will convince Mike to install iOS 11 on his devices. <laughs> <laughs> if he gets enough betas, he will he will put the beta on on his iPad. I feel like I'd have to at that point. I need to do my my duty as a beta tester. Uh, yes. Last week we were talking about Nest and HomeKit, right? Like why aren't Nest using HomeKit and what were the reasons for that? Um, and friend of the show, Zach, sent in some tweets about his experience whilst at Nest. Um, and so he said that Nest seemed to have had an issue at the point because I think he was there around the time that uh, that, that HomeKit was announced or that at least it was being discussed and that they had an issue at the time that there was no good sense with HomeKit of knowing who exactly was at home and they didn't like this approach. Like They liked the idea of being able to tailor their devices based on who was there. So Nest went with their own solution, which Stephen was, was praising last week, right, about like all the different settings that you can add for who's in and who's not and what you should do. So apparently it wasn't a bad blood thing. It wasn't like, a oh, that's Apple or anything like that. They just wanted to make the best product or service that they could, or at least the one that they wanted to make. So they did that, right? Like Nest have their stuff that they do. But now that device location is going to be a part of HomeKit, that's why this could possibly change. That might be why they're looking at it now, because now it it looks like it's going to be possible to tell who's at home and who's not and, and tailor devices and their interactions based upon that. So that was really interesting feedback. Hmm. Yeah, I I love this kind of feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, when we get these kinds of stories, like it gives all the details that we missed from stuff. We, the stuff there's no way we could know, right? Without without people telling us. Yeah, this is the perfect kind of follow up. So yeah, thank you, Zach, for the tweets. Um, Federico, <laughs> <sighs> you're struggling oh, no. with keyboards, no. right? This is again another story <laughs> in your tale of woe. 
you oh. are seem to be having some real keyboard problems. So I was all, I was upset that again, again, I should say again, because this is something that I go through every few months. I've had extremely bad luck with keyboards for my iPad Pro in the past year. I was loving the Razer keyboard plus 10 plus case. It was like a three in one setup until the kickstand broke miserably. Um, it was really sad. Uh, basically, the plastic broke, and now my the iPad cannot stand uh, in the Razer case anymore. Um, I tried the again the Logitech Create, but it's just so bulky for the twelve point nine, and it just it's it's um good luck if you wanna try to get the iPad Pro out of the Logitech Create case uh, if you don't wanna if you don't wanna break break a finger trying to pull it out. Um, I used the Magic Keyboard for months and it works, but I really wish it had it was backlit and that it had like a carrying solution that integrated with the iPad. I used the Canopy uh, from the Studio Need guys for months and exact it's really excellent. It's one of my favorite workarounds for now. Uh, but again, it misses the ability to have like a, an all-in-one solution that allows you to use the iPad anywhere, like on your lap or on a desk while you're sitting on the sofa. Um, and the Canopy also doesn't have a way to have an adjustable angle. Mm -hmm. It's a fixed angle solution. Um, so I thought, you know, at this point, I should just accept my fate. And I know that I'm going to use the iPad to write my iOS 11 review on a desk. So I can just prop up the iPad with a smart cover. And maybe what I should do is I should get a proper bigger, more comfortable external keyboard. So I did some research and I thought, you know, maybe I should try this Matthias um, wireless aluminum keyboard. Why did you choose this? Uh, because it's bigger than the Magic Keyboard. It's got like the de dedicated number pad and it just, it, it felt more comfortable for my hands. You know that Apple sell one with a number pad now, right? I, I do, uh, but I felt like I wanted to try these different keys. Okay. And it, it looks solid. The battery. Uh, People have really good things to know. say about the Matthias keyboards. I completely exactly. agree with that. Yeah. So, did you say Matthias or Matthias? I don't know. Maybe we okay. should just say it differently every single time. Okay. I'm going to say Matthias and you're going to say Matthias. Makes sense? Yeah. And I'm going to say Matthias and I'm going to say Matthias. I'm just going to keep <laughs> saying it differently because eventually we'll get it right if we do, you know? Anyway, this keyboard. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I buy the keyboard, it arrives in a couple of days, and I take it out of the box. I really love the design. It's super comfortable for my hands. Um, and it allows you to connect to up to four Bluetooth devices at once. It's got, like, dedicated buttons to switch the connections. So that's lovely. Until I start typing, and after 30 seconds of inactivity, the keyboard disconnects. <laughs> so I try a bunch of fixes like i do the bluetooth pairing again i reboot my devices i i try all sorts of possible ways to fix the problem and then i get in touch with the matthias guys over email and on twitter uh and they send me this email about uh, if you're using the keyboard with a with an ipad with an ios device you should know that there's and this is super strange because they said there's a bug that prevents 
third-party keyboards from keeping their connections alive all the time persistently because Apple wants to have their secret sauce just for the Magic Keyboard. So I was like, is it a bug or is it a strategy from Apple? I, I mean, when I look at this, I don't really know how to read that because it sounds like reporting a bug and also being upset and maybe also believing something, right? Like... It, you could also read that as like the Matthias people are really upset that this bug is there, so their assumption is Apple wants to sell more keyboards, right? So they leave the bug as opposed to it just being a bug. I don't know. But what is strange is that this is the first time in years that I hear about this problem. I used Bluetooth keyboards in the past, like non-Apple keyboards, other Bluetooth keyboards. I never had this problem myself. So I mm-hmm. really don't know what to believe. Honestly, this to me feels like these Matthias guys are not optimizing their Bluetooth code properly for iOS because it's. It, I get the uh, I get the impression that this is a Mac first company and they 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 are primarily optimizing for desktop computers and desktop users. Personally, and I could be I and I wish I could be wrong. I. I don't buy this explanation. Um, I I never heard of this problem. With you know, there's there's folks on Twitter who say you know I have a Microsoft keyboard or I have a Zag keyboard, I have a Logitech one, and I don't have this issue. Like the keyboard stays connected. I've never had so, that problem with Bluetooth keyboards that I've used either. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't. Know. Anyway, basically, I'm back to the Magic Keyboard and. Um, I'm using I'm using the smart cover to prop up the iPad and I bought a Magic Keyboard carrying case. It's like a hard shell case to put the Magic Keyboard in it and maybe you know I can save room in my Tombin bag. Uh, I can also put some cables in uh, so I don't have like a whole mess of cables around. So now I have a case for the Magic Keyboard and someday someone will make my ideal uh, iPad typing setup that is not the smart keyboard. Once again, what I want is some kind of keyboard, ideally similar to the Magic Keyboard, that is backlit and that integrates with the iPad in a way that I have an adjustable angle, like an adjustable viewing angle, and some kind of base that allows me to use it on a desk and also prop it up on my lap, like a laptop. Someday, Maybe that will happen, but not today, not this summer. So I'm back to the Magic Keyboard for now. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, what you gotta do. Today's show is also brought to you by Away. Your luggage shouldn't cost more than your plane ticket. And that's why Away makes smart premium suitcases for just under $300. Go to awaytravel.com slash connected right now and browse their suitcases. They're all made with premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and still lightweight. Away offers four sizes of suitcase, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, and the large, and they have nine great colors for you to choose from. Away suitcases feature a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're an overpacker, along with four 360-degree spinner wheels. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount that you can pack. And they have TSA combination locks built in, so nobody needs to bust open your case if they have to. And a removable washing laundry bag, washable laundry bag as well, which is one of my favorite things. So you can separate your clean clothes from your dirty ones when you're out on your, on your vacation or your trip, and then you've got this little bag, 
bag, you can zip it up, put it back in, and just use the compression stuff and tighten it all up again. And then you keep your clean clothes and your worn clothes separated. But also another great feature, you should know this by now, every one of their carry-ons feature a USB port. So you can charge your devices whilst traveling. There is a battery inside of the Away carry-on case that can charge your phone up to five times. You will never be without power again. So recently me and Adina took a trip together and I had my Away case and she had a case that she'd bought uh, previously. And they come out of the carousel and my case comes out and her case comes out and it's got this huge crack down the side. It did not survive the trip very well. So I called her the other day. She was looking at Away. And right now, Away have a yellow Minion <laughs> suitcase, which she is going to buy. Uh, so they have like that. It's like some special thing that they have right now where they have an, a Minion-themed suitcase. The Minions from Despicable Me. Uh, it is actually a really cool looking color, so she's going to be getting one of the bigger carry-on ones so she gets the battery. And She's only small, so it'll be more than enough size for her to, to take away, so there's going to be another Away suitcase in my household very soon. Away believe in the quality of their products. That's why they offer a lifetime guarantee. If anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it for life. And they have a 100-day trial with a no-questions-asked return policy with free shipping as well on any order within the lower 48 states of the U.S. You have 100 days to try this thing out and see how you like it. You can travel with it and, you know, just use it as you would. And if for some reason you don't like it, just return it. They're cool with that. Travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. Go to awaytravel.com slash connected and use the code connected at checkout and you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash connected and the code connected for $20 off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. So yesterday, the reviews came out of the Echo Show. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've watched a couple of videos. Um, I watched one from The Verge and one from yeah. Wired. Um, and they're both pretty good. And uh, I think for me, they kind of have cemented a lot of my feelings on it. Um, and I think we should probably go through some of that. What do you think? Did you Have you read the reviews too? I watched The Verge video. Right. So they're really good. I mean, they, they show, and I think for some, for a product like this, personally, I mean, I know I'm quite biased, but I think a video does a lot better for showing a product like this than just reading about it because there is, there is visual and audio parts of the product that you want to be able to experience. So I really appreciate when when uh, these websites put together video reviews. It's nice. Anywho, so I'm going to go through some of my feelings, Federico, and you feel free to jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. the design I'm, I really don't like it uh, I, I wasn't keen on it from the product shots but especially when you see it kind of in people's homes um, I think it sticks out too much in a way that the current Echo designs do not um, I think that there is a chunkiness to the Echo show which I am not too keen on yeah it doesn't it doesn't look good honestly I thought it would be not this chunky block that you put on your countertop. You know, like it's it's not a slim device at all. Nope. It, it it doesn't disappear either. It's like you. It's like a mini TV on your kitchen. Like okay, <laughs> that's uh, that is that is not the you know unassuming hardware that some people would like to have in a living room or in a kitchen. Like I get the idea of like this is like a replacement for a kitchen TV. But it's 
thicker than any TV you can buy today. <laughs> right. It's like, like significantly. An, it's, like, it's like a smart CRT TV. Like <laughs> It's like this big box. Yep. And, and I get big, like part of the design is so they can have a base built into it and they can angle it. Like I can see how they got to that. But I think that there could have been a more elegant-looking solution than the one that they ended up with. Um, you know, again, they may not have been able to do it with everything that they wanted to pack into the thing. I understand that, but the industrial design that they have landed on is does not vibe with my personal tastes. Um, yeah. There, you know, what I like about this is that the, it it seems that in general, the screen is additive. To the to the echo experience, like it doesn't seem like for the things that you would normally do when talking to your echo, you have to look at the screen. It's still giving the the audio cues, but if you do look at the screen, you get more information. Like for example, timers. If you ask it how many timers are left, it will tell you, but it also puts them on the screen so you can see the countdown. So like it does everything that you're used to doing, but with visual prompts. And I think that that is a really good way of doing this as opposed to just saying hey look at the screen because that's kind of not the point of the echo and and i'm pleased that just because they put a screen on this thing they haven't now like for things that could be given to you and have been given to you via audio cues in the past that they haven't just stripped those out and been like i show this to you right now like i don't want that like i want to be able to say show me a YouTube video and see the YouTube video, which the current Echo can't, can't do. But if I ask it what the weather is, I want it to tell me, right? So mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm pleased that they've, they're, they're mixing those two things together as opposed to being like, you can check the seven-day forecast on the screen right now. Like, I don't, I don't want yeah. that. Um, apparently, the speakers sound a lot better than it did before, which is good. I mean, the, the, I find the speakers on the Echo perfectly fine for what I use, which is for podcasts. I don't listen to music on it very often. I mean, sometimes we will, like if we're if there's a song that someone wants to hear, you can just shout out and get it. But like we're not we're not sitting around and having like a new album listening party around the echo. But if I'm listening to a podcast, I'll just ask it to connect to my phone over Bluetooth, which it does really easily. By the way, if you in case you didn't know that, if you just say whatever the wake word is like echo connect to my phone. It just starts a Bluetooth pairing process, and then if you pair to it once, it just connects to your phone immediately. And then I will just keep playing my podcast that way. So I do that a lot. And for podcasts, the speaker's fine. It gets pretty loud. But apparently the Echo Show is even better than that, which is great. Um, the thing that One of the big things that they've added, one of the big things that's going on here, is the, the calling, right? The video calling. Mm-hmm. And I remain unconvinced about this. I've now seen videos of people doing this in real world environments and I still think it's awkward. So it's a it's you know it's a it is a device in a fixed position. I've said this before. So if you want to make a video call, you have to get up and go to the device, right? Wherever you are, you have to go to the device, which is not how it works anymore, right? When the phone rings, people these when they when people's phone ring in 2017, they're not getting up and going to the hallway to pick up the handset anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right? They pick up their phone. And the thing is, video calling is not something that only this device can do. All of our devices can do video calling. Like the idea of like someone's calling me, I must get up and go to that device. It just seems like a step back rather than a step forward. I also don't like that the way that the device is set up 
for most people, it's going to be pointed up at you, which is not really a good or flattering angle to have a device below you looking up, right? Because that's how it's kind of set. And like that just yeah. is not a great angle. So what's typically going to happen, people are people bending down, like bending over a counter, like kind of leaning on a counter to talk to someone. Like I just don't think that this is a good way to have a video call. It just doesn't work for me. I just I don't understand why anybody would choose to use the Echo Show for their video calling over any of the other devices that they have in their home that has a camera on it. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I kind of get the appeal of the hands-free video calling. Like, you don't have to hold your phone. You can walk around. But the problem, as you say, is the angle. Um, it's like I was watching this this video, and it's like the, you need to lean over the, the, the device. And it, and it does feel unintuitive compared to I just have my phone and I can walk around. So I get the feeling that Amazon wanted to strike a balance between there's video calling, but you don't even need to hold your phone. But they're forgetting that from that angle and from that kind of placement, it's still worse than having an iPhone or you know any smartphone with FaceTime or video calling. Yeah, I will concede, as you said, that like the idea of it being hands-free, that you would say, like, hey, call mum. And then it would do that and you could talk to your mum, right? Like while you're walking around the kitchen without ever touching a device is great because that's why we like these devices in the first place, right? Like that's why I like my Echo because I can ask it to do things without interrupting me or going to find something. Like that's cool. But that feels like the only use case that I would ever want to use this for. And I don't think that happens to me very often. Yeah. And I mean, ideally the solution, I guess, would be uh, you have like a pod that follows you around, like a flying sure. camera. Sure, I think we're a little you. way away from that, though. But that's probably not coming <laughs> this year. Not this so. year, no, no. Maybe no. maybe next year we'll get the Amazon flying pod. Um, I am also really still not cool with the drop-in feature. Now, I know it's an opt-in thing, right, that you have to opt in to say you want people to drop in on you. And this is the idea that if you have, if two people have a, a show, you probably can do it with the app as well, to, the, to one of the Echo shows, you can say, I am allowing this person to drop in on me. And that means that like they can just pop up at a certain point and then you can like accept a call from them in like, or, or like they can just, just appear and you can see them and they can see you once this like smoke clears away. I just don't like this. And the reason I don't like this is it's not like a oh like a security feature, but it's because I don't like phone calls, right? I do not like when my phone rings and I have to drop everything to give someone my full attention, no matter what I'm doing. I don't want another communication method in my life where this is occurring. That like all of a sudden the screen lights up on my Echo Show, which is in the kitchen, and it's like mom is here to drop in or however it is that it starts these calls. And then she's waiting now and the expectation is I should be answering because we've given each other this, this two-way thing where she's allowed to drop in on me and I'm allowed to drop in on her. I don't want something else like this in my life and I, I just don't think it makes sense. Like just initiate a call if you really want to like why did we need to have this drop in as well like, i get that and i also get like it creeps some people out they don't like the idea of like 
breaking down a barrier. Like, I understand that. As we have a lot of these things, I think, like, look, it's opt-in. You choose who it's going to be. Me, personally, I just don't want another way in my life where people can just arrive and demand my attention. I mean, I love my mother, but I can see how this could go totally wrong as she would just... It would drive me crazy. All, every as single an day. excuse to, to drop in and be like, hey, I'm just hanging out in the kitchen or like in the other room and I can hear my mom from the kitchen even though my mom is not here. <laughs> She's just like yep. dropping in at random times and I'm like, hey, why don't you come over and talk to your mother? Like, no, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, you know, just... I, I can see how... Especially for Italian parents, and here I'm going full. This is not just mode. an Italian parents thing, man. Like that, my mom would be exactly the same. Okay, then parents I, again. I also love my mom very much. Oh yes, but I really don't need to give her another way to get in contact. With no, me. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> you know, I, I you know I I I disabled uh, read receipts for my mom. <laughs> So she doesn't know when I, when I read her. I'm sorry, but, you know, it creates an expectation that, and I should say my mom is not like, she she doesn't fully understand the process of working from home. She just thinks that Ugh. it's okay to call me at just any You're random at home. time. You know, how You're can you be busy? What, You're at home. And if oh. I don't and if I don't reply straight away, she starts texting like what's happening? Nothing's happening, mom, I'm just working. My mom sends the same message over and over and over again <laughs> until I answer, as if like I don't know, like it's stuck in the queue somewhere. I don't uh. <laughs> Yeah, and and then when I tell her like, Hey, I'm I'm working and she gets upset because she's like, Hey, I was just trying to call you like I just wanted to talk to my son, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, that's mother. that's what happened. And then when, you know, she discovered iMessage stickers, so now instead of texting, she sends stickers uh, as sort of like a preemptive mm. move to get in touch with me. <laughs> My mom found emoji. Same thing. Mm. Yeah, so with the drop-in, with the drop-in, I think uh, th- that could go totally wrong, uh, especially now that I have my own place and, you know, she craves the contact and the FaceTime call and the daily phone call uh if i give her access to dropping on my echo that would go sideways in very ugly ways so i get it i get it it's i and it's not about the weirdness really uh, i'm okay with it it's up to you can do it if you want otherwise it's disabled by default it's more about the it's all of um, the practicalities and the social expectations that this would make me have to bend my life to deal with that i don't want Right, yeah. if I'm using it in the way that Amazon expects, I mean, let's be real, right? No one's going to use this, right? Like based upon even if the amount of people that buy this, the percentage of people that are even going to use the video calling, I think, will be quite small, because if you already have a video calling arrangement in your family, you don't want to change that, right? Like it was, everybody knows how hard it was to just get grandma set up on Skype, right, or to get Auntie Ethel set up on FaceTime. Like, you don't want to now go and do it all on Amazon's service. Like, so I, I really don't imagine a high usage of this, but I just I don't want it personally. Mm-hmm. The Echo Show, to me, feels even more like a kitchen-focused device than even the other Echoes. Like, all of the additional mm. things that it would do, I feel like, really fit the kitchen environment. You know, like, recipes and stuff like that. Like, it's great to have 
on the the screen i feel like it even more is is useful in that environment right like that it has more uses that could occur in the kitchen than maybe ever before i think and i personally am not i am not in any rush to buy this after seeing these reviews i do feel a little more keen on it than before because i actually think the the ui design looks pretty nice it looks nice and clear and Overall, the reviews have been pretty positive about the the device, except you know there are some there are some issues. I mean, I, we've already spoke about them. Like it seems to do a lot of the things that I like on my Echo better because there is another thing, right? So like I said, like with the timers, with the weather, uh, with songs, it shows the lyrics. Like it comes with a lot of things that would enhance my current usage of the Amazon Echo. But it also comes with a slew of features that I don't want to use and don't think I will use. So I'm in no rush to upgrade. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy that I cancelled my order, honestly. Uh, looking at it, looking at the device itself. I mean, I wouldn't have space for this anyway. But looking at the device, looking at the, like, the interactions and the weird angle, uh, I thought the camera angle would be better, honestly. I'm glad that I didn't spend my money on this. And there's a part of me that kind of wants to play with this, if only from the uh, tech guy kind of perspective, just out of curiosity. But I think we're fine with the standard Echo yep. experience, like the audio experience for now. Yeah, I'm I'm keen to see what people like Steven and Dan Moran, uh, sorry, Dan Moran, uh, have to say. Yes. Because they're people like me, right? Like who I know, and I know their sensibilities. And I'm I'm interested to see their opinion on this device as well um rather than just the general like reviews that are maybe tailored towards a slightly broader audience right that i feel like the ones that we've seen so far because they're, they're bigger but these you know i i'm interested in people that i know how they feel about it that that's what i'm keen on seeing now so i yeah. guess we'll start to get some of that over the next couple of weeks so i think these things are starting to arrive now right like i think that was the point you can buy it now the such they should be arriving now i don't know they're available now i think Mm-hmm. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Pingdom. Love Pingdom. Use Pingdom. I know Federica used Pingdom too. You can start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash connected. When you do, when you go there, you go sign up, you'll get a 14-day free trial so you can give it a whirl and see how Pingdom can be used for yourself and your business. And when you enter the offer code connected at checkout, you'll get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is simple. Pingdom is designed to let you know whether your website or any website is loading or is available. It's as simple as that. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable. All you need to do is give Pingdom a URL that you want to monitor. This can be for your own website or it can be for other websites. I know like a bunch of people, they'll put like the WWDC page into Pingdom. So if it changes, they get a notification or tickets that you may be looking for for an event. So you'll see when the page goes live. Pingdom can monitor all this stuff. When they detect an outage or a change, you'll be immediately alerted. So you can either fix the error or go to the website or whatever it is that you're wanting to monitor that URL for. You don't want to be caught out when someone's trying to access your site. So you should look at Pingdom. They detect around 13 million outages a day every single month it's more than 400,000 a day websites go down all the time so if you're if you have a site that you want to make sure is up which i'm sure if you already have a website why would you not want it to be available you should be looking at pingdom 
It's a very simple thing to do, simple to set up, and then you can choose a bunch of different notification methods for them to contact you. It's really, really awesome. And you can also, as well as just looking at an entire website, whether it's up or down, you can look at contact forms, login, search functionality, and so much more, because basically our websites these days are built with a bunch of different dependencies all over the place. Pingdom can monitor them all. Check it out today, and you'll be the first to know when your site is down. Go to pingdom.com slash connected. You'll get that 14-day free trial, and you'll get 20% off your first invoice when you use the code connected at checkout. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. Federico, so in our uh, uh, current weekly education of uh, uh-huh. iOS section of the show, uh, we're going to turn our focus to ARKit this week. Yes. The reason yeah. is because Twitter went wild over the weekend uh, as a bunch of ARKit demos were being shown off. And there is a great website and Twitter account called Made with ARKit, which is collecting a bunch of video examples of applications that are currently being made and or demos that are currently being put together of what ARKit can do. Now, one of the ones that kind of really caught fire over the weekend was a measuring app demo mm-hmm. where you could use your iPhone to measure something. And it's with within a, 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 a realm, right? There's, there, it's not 100% perfect, right? So, like, if you're somebody who is building a house, maybe you shouldn't use uh, your AR kit measuring app. But if you're just trying to make sure, like, oh, will this sofa fit in the room? Like most people, yeah. I think, w- who have a measuring tape are just checking stuff like that. You could use your phone for it instead. And I could imagine myself doing that, right? When I'm going to Ikea, I just want to see if I have enough space. I don't need, like, millimeter precision most of the time unless I'm really trying to squeeze stuff in. So yeah. this is one thing. There's stuff like... Mine, there's like a Minecraft demo. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of things with like spaceships. There seems to be a lot of space related stuff right now. But it's really kind of just showing what can be done with this technology. And I am getting really excited mm-hmm. about ARKit. I think, I, I think that it's going to be one of the real breakout features of iOS 11. We just didn't know that. Right. Like, Mm. I feel like there's going to be so many cool things, whether it's like games or utilities or just experiences that you'll be able to do with this stuff that people will just be like screaming to update their phones when they see what their friends can do. Right. Like, I really feel like this is going to be one of those things where it's like, oh my God, how did you get that game where you're shooting space invaders around the office? Oh, you have to get it from the app store, but you need iOS 11. Right, like I, I really do feel like it's going to be one of those things because look at Pokemon Go, right? Pokemon Go was successful. It was what it was because of the AR. It was the fact that you could walk around in the world and there were Pokemon. Well, that was the one game and app that people played. And as well, like AR games and apps are going to be easy to sell to people because they'll say, it's like Pokemon Go. Everybody knows what that means. Like I, I, the more and more that I am seeing of it, as well, like the more and more I'm impressed with what Apple has been able to create with this, and we're gonna go. You've watched some of the sessions, right? So yes. we're gonna talk about that. But like for someone who doesn't really know about the details, like me, I, I've been very impressed with what they've done with this because this feels like a technology that Apple are kind of bringing to the market on mass first, which is not normal for them. Like there have been 
little SDKs and stuff like that that people are using. We're talking about the Planet of the Apps one, of course, Pokemon Go. But there haven't been, as far as I'm aware, like publicly available, effectively free SDKs of this caliber that people can develop against. Like Google has their Project Tango, but that hasn't really given any consumer desire. Like it seems to be a very specific hardware is required. I think they have a phone or a tablet or it's like a phablet that you have to have, the Tango phone. And it's doing some stuff that is interesting data-wise and building up some interesting things. But it, I haven't seen like BB-8 rolling around on a Project Tango demo, right? Like the, this world of awesome AR projects seems like something that Apple is really pushing for first. And the more and more I see of it, Honestly, the more and more that I'm willing to say that Tim was right and I was wrong about where Apple's focus should have been, because I was worried that they shouldn't be focusing on AR, they should be focusing on VR. And now I see that behind the scenes they had a VR project the whole time. I now agree that like for the iPhone, like for for what is the core of their business, it makes so much sense to have these AR tools mm. available, an AR kit available because it's giving people a whole new type of application that they can build that couldn't have been made before. Mm -hmm. The thing about ARKit is that it it tends to be the opposite. Like with this, usually with major technologies, Apple tends to test them privately in their apps first yep. and then roll them out to developers. But now this is such a big effort and such a big thing for the future I find it fascinating that they want to start building this with help from developers. This is basically what it is. They're asking the developer community to test this project at scale. And I assume Apple is going to use this uh, project with you know, ARKit and the developer community to improve the framework for whatever next big thing they are doing next whether it's a new iphone app or it's a new apple max uh, apple maps experience or some improvements to the iphone camera so i think it's fascinating first i think it's it's so fascinating that apple is doing the opposite of what they would usually do um in terms of ios technologies but the thing about ar is also the fact that it's social and it's you can demo it to people on your phone and it sort of because it blends the real world with software it's so much easier to explain on a tiny phone well tiny you know with context in the grand scheme of screens in the grand yeah. screen exactly it's so much easier to demo this in any kind of social environment whether it's at the office or at the dog park or around the house than a headset so I agree with you, they are right to bet on this, especially in connection with the App Store, because there's going to be a curiosity, uh, uh, like uh, like these apps are going to advertise themselves, even just by word of mouth. Like yep. everybody's going to be talking about these apps. You know, this is one of those things, right? iOS 11 comes out and you drop like $50 immediately, yeah. right? Like Because you're like, I just want to see all of this. What I'm curious to know is if we will... So all of these demos that uh, made, we are, uh, made with ARKit uh, is sharing. I want to see if they will end up being full games or just demos 
you can download for free. If these developers are playing with this stuff now and they plan to make actual products out of this, if they there will be more games than utilities, like what kind of apps, what kind of games we will be able to download? Because right now, yes, it is super fun to watch a rocket, like a, like a SpaceX rocket, land in your uh, backyard that is super fun is that an app or is that just a demo that you put out on youtube yeah i don't know Oh, it's like a one-time uh, thing that you do and yeah then you maybe show to a friend like you know like, yeah, you're right we may not see huge games in september but yeah. i'm confident that there will be some i mean there's gonna be that the one that they showed on stage right the infinity blade of this year um mm-hmm. which was it epic who made that you remember, like they had that, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the the tabletop westerny thing with yeah, the guy. Yeah, that was awesome. Off. Yeah, I think that's going to be available. So you know that that's one thing. But yeah, I agree. Well, what will we see? I mean, we really don't know yet. And and mm-hmm. I think if you weren't already developing a game with this type of thing in mind, I don't know if you can build a really full experience in three months. Mm-hmm. But even if the you know we won't have in three months a hundred games and a hundred apps for ARKit. What Apple is doing here is impressive. They are making AR development easy for developers, and they're not just making this a feature of the next flagship iPhone. They are rolling out consumer AR and easy-to-use developer tools for iPhones and devices that run on the A9 chip and above. So we're talking two years ago, we're talking iPhone 6S era devices. And A9 chip, A10, of course, and we have to assume going forward forever. So they are basically, even if you have an iPhone 6S, you're going to be able to use this stuff. And what Apple is doing, like the the work that they are simplifying for developers is a lot. So ARKit is made... Uh, of three separate layers. There's, of course, rendering and, you know, the graphic engine, being able to uh, overimpose graphics on top of what the iPhone is seeing with the camera. Uh, and, of course, it integrates... That's the final part of the process. Integrates with SyncKit, SpriteKit, Metal, uh, Unity, and Unreal will have support for ARKit in the future. But behind the scenes, behind the graphics that you see, uh, which is already quite a bit of help for developers. Uh, so you don't have to roll out your custom engine and you know you can use the standard tools. But behind that, um, there's this thing called VIO, which is Visual Inertial Odometry on iOS 11. It's basically uh, world tracking. So the AR kit knows the position of your phone in in the in the physical world. And you can use a bunch of sensors. So you can use um, you know the gyroscope accelerometer. You can you can calculate height and you can use the iPhone camera to calculate the you know for example the the amount of light that is happening in the real world. And it can understand the position of the iPhone, what the iPhone is seeing and its relation ship with the with the real world, with the physical space that it the iPhone is in. Um combining that with um Apple calls it scene understanding. So Apple can detect, of course, horizontal planes, so a horizontal surface. That is one of the actually one of the major limitations of ARKit right now. It cannot understand vertical uh, surfaces like a wall, for example, and that's why most of the ARKit demos that you're seeing actually use either the ground floor or a desk or a horizontal surface to work. Uh, but it can understand 
the horizontal plane, it can understand, uh, again, it can do light calculations. And why would you need light? For example, let's say that you want to put a 3D object in a space, like a cup of coffee, and you want to make sure that it can sort of create the illusion that it's a virtual object in a physical space, but it makes sense within that you know, representation with AR. And to do that, you need to make sure that the lighting on the cup of coffee is at least a credible representation of what light will look like with a real cup of coffee. So, and all of this work is basically abstracted from developers. Uh, there's an API, you integrate with it, and all of these calculations, you don't need to do them yourself. <laughs> I mean, that seems like such an incredible amount of work, because I assume it's using the camera sensors to detect light sources. It's using the camera, it's using the... <sighs> It's using the geolocation. It's using, uh, you know, uh, all the sensors that uh, help the iPhone um, understand where it is, what kind of scene the iPhone is seeing right now. Like, what am I looking at here? And of course, the 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 camera system of the iPhone all coming together to say, look, here's your horizontal surface. Here's the kind of light representation, and I'm super simplifying this, but here's the kind of light representation that you want to use. And you're going to be, here's how you place an object, and you're going to be able to walk around it, to zoom on it, and we'll keep the perspective right, we'll keep the light corrections right, and we'll allow you to, um, you know, to account for changes in the uh, horizontal plane. For example, let's say that you're moving from a desk to a carpet. And let's say that, you know, uh, the texture of the carpet makes it harder for you to calculate the surface. You can ask ARKit for that kind of help. Um, it's so much work that Apple is taking away from developers. I mean, and it's not like it with two API calls. Now you, Mike can make an ARKit app. One, two, three AR unit generator. Of course, you'll have to know what you're doing, but there's so much work that Apple is taking away from developers that I believe this is why um, it's so fascinating because Apple is not making apps with AR features, like a big, new, splashy addition to the iPhone built-in apps, but they're going to developers and they're like, we made this framework for you. We're, we're, we're going to make it easier for you to create AR experiences Tell us what you think, and let's see what happens. And they're working with companies like Niantic. Pokemon Go is going to switch from the custom AR engine to AR kit, so the Pokemon animations on screen will look more real, and the when you throw the Pokeball, it'll look more realistic. IKEA is going to work on, you know, I think this will be the killer app. You will be able to place furniture in your, you know, in your house and see what it looks like, and... There w- the best part, I think, is there will be a shared consistency between all of these experiences because they're using all the same framework and all the same engine on iOS instead of having you know some AR experiences that work worse than others because I feel like Apple wants to have like a base uh, like a baseline experience, a baseline quality. And I think if this works, ARKit will put Apple way above Google and Facebook in terms of consumer adoption. Because if September comes and Apple has 100 apps with ARKit on the App Store or 200 apps on the App Store, those are hundreds of apps available on the App Store for millions of consumers that neither Google or Facebook have right now. 
And I think we went from zero, effectively, with Apple and AR. It was just a bunch of quotes from Tim Cook in interviews to an actual framework and to dozens of demos that are happening today. And I'm really excited to see what happens in September because it just it just seems unreal that we went from nothing to this in just one conference. I'm keen to see the the difference that it takes to like from from Google Cardboard or what what is the VR thing called Day, Daydream, Daydream um, yeah. and like you know you're looking at like the Oculus Gear VR stuff right that these are these are this is the same thinking right that goes into having all of this stuff is like using your phone to do this other thing which can unlock a new experience but the difference between all of these is that with Apple you don't need to buy any additional hardware and I'm interested to see what difference that makes on user adoption because I I feel like maybe not a lot of people use Daydream you know like I'm sure yeah. there's there's a few but it's not every single Google Pixel owner right and I don't think that you know all of the Google Pixel owners is is even really close to the amount of iPhones that there are in the world right so you you're already working with percentages upon percentages so i'm i'm keen to see what response we see to ar kit from big developers big game developers big app developers right i feel like that there 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 could be the opportunity for this to be a really big thing for ios so i'm super excited about it i'm i'm really excited about it like i've got to say like the more and more i learn about all of the other, all of the stuff that was in ios 11 like this this for me personally looks like it's shaping to be probably the best version of iOS. Like for me personally, yeah. for my tastes, for what I am looking for, I think that iOS eleven is probably gonna be my favorite. Mm. Yeah. And um in addition to ARKit, I wouldn't underestimate what is going on with Core ML either. Uh, you know, with machine learning. Uh, opening <laughs> Maybe up to Federico, that can be next time. You can teach that can be, us all we, about we Core can, ML. We can talk about it, but uh, you know, it, this is a very kind of sneaky thing that Apple is doing here. They're entering this space with AR and with machine learning, with ways to make it easy for developers to add these kind of features to their apps. And it's so impressive, and it, you know, uh, I I'm watching the sessions and talking to people that they're gonna integrate with these with these new frameworks on iOS. It's so surprising that Apple has been able to pull this off, honestly, uh, because again, we went from saying, "Well, is ever is Apple ever getting into AR or machine learning for real?" And not only did they get into it, they were like, "Here you go, download a bunch of code and start working on this stuff." And by September, you can make an app on the App Store. So, yeah, iOS 11. Uh, I think it'll it'll surprise us in ways that we didn't expect. Uh, even even on the iPad, um, you know, of course, files and drag and drop. You can sort of you can understand the impact when you try with Apple Mail and with Safari or when you open the Files app and there's iCloud Drive. But I think when we will get the third-party experiences, you know, when you will see Dropbox living in the Files app or when you will see apps like Ulysses or an email client doing the custom drag-and-drop, then you will be like, huh, that's more than I expected. So I think iOS 11 will surprise us in ways that we didn't see coming. Even, and I mean, it was an excellent keynote that Apple did, but 
there's a developer story here this year uh, that I'm hoping that by September, the you know, combined with the new App Store, we will spend a lot of money, and I feel like there will be an excitement that uh, you know for of trying new things, new apps, both on the iPhone and the iPad that we haven't felt in years. So I'm feeling really good about it. But yes, next time we will talk about CoreML, if you want. If I would Steve like wants. to. Well, right. we've made the decision now. So what can we do? Core, Coramel it is. Coramel. If you want to find our show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash connected slash 148. You can find Federico online at maxstories.net, and he is at Vitici. Um Our brother-in-arms, Mr. Stephen Hackett, is at 512pixels.net. He is at ISMH on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. This show is part of Relay FM. We have a bunch more shows. If you only listen to Connected or maybe one or two other shows, go check out relay.fm slash shows. I'm sure that there'll be something in there which will tickle your fancy to add to your podcast listening queue. Thanks again to our fine sponsors this week, the great folk over at Pingdom, Away, and Igloo. And most of all, as always, thank you for listening, and we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci.